Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, we start a new series today. And again, I have to start with a confession. I hate poetry. Alright? And, and since you're not allowed to use hate at church, let's just say I don't appreciate poetry. And it's not just the Bible. It's all poetry. I don't know if you remember English like I remember English, but I would have prayed for a COVID pandemic during any section of English class that had poetry in it. Well, there's only one poet that I ever really cared for, and his name was Ogden Nash. One person last night, 50 people there, gave a hoot, because they, they knew Ogden Nash also. And his poems were simple and easy, and they made sense to me. He wrote, The Duck. Behold the duck. It does not cluck. It has no cluck. Or excuse me, a cluck it lacks. It quacks. It's especially fond of puddle or pond. And when it dines or sups, it's bottoms up. (laughs) Poetry! (laughs) I get that. All other efforts of great poets go unappreciated by me personally. Now, I'm here to make a confession. I'm Pastor Pete. You, I understand you expect big things sometimes out of me. That's unfortunate on your part. But I want you to understand, uh, my goal is to read through the Bible every year. Alright? And there's something nobil- noble about that, but I want you to now make and hear the confession. There are times when I have gotten caught in Job, Psalms. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. And I just can't slog through by December 31st to say I finished. So, I'm I'm confessing to you today. I struggle with poetry. And yet at the same time, the Lord has led me to do this. I say the Lord has led me. You you need to even understand that. I am 64 years of age. I have been in the ministry now 42 years. I have never taught Psalms. Ever. Couple Couple of proof references, that's it. I'm here to preach ten psalms over the next couple of months. In order to get my head around the concept 
since David is the author of the majority of the Psalms, I sent out a question to a number of people and asked them one thought. What makes David a man after God's own heart? Because my thought was simply this. If I could understand the mind of David, I might understand the writings of David, even though they're engineered and led by the dynamics of the Holy Spirit, and we have them in other passages of Scripture, God uses the mind of the individual. And so if I could grasp that idea and that core thought process, then possibly I could come into a poem and see the truth that lies there and appreciate the, 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 very, the idea by which it's communicated. Alright? So, a number of you wrote back, I appreciate it. Uh, I want you to hear, if you will, my conclusions. As we even begin this process, I want you to, to see how David's heart was used by God to write some of these psalms. I want you to notice first, David loved God's Word. It captivated him until the Bible itself shaped his thinking. And so, family, you, you see that dripping out of the psalm. Psalms 119, an entire psalm, lengthy, every verse points to the Bible. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How dramatic that simple poetry expression finds weight in where we're at this morning. He points to Scripture. Psalms 19, he says, it's gold. It's silver. And when I eat it, it's honey. He loved God's Word. It shaped his thinking. Secondly, David loved God and loved to ponder the character of God. Family, I, I don't know how often you just take time and using your knowledge of God's Word, you begin to think how incredible. You, you, you sang this morning that He's omniscient. Omnipotent. And do you really grasp and just, just spend a, a moment in time, wow, what does it mean to be all-knowing, omniscient? Wow. To, to, to never have a, a future thought not already at your reference point. To be omnipotent. To know that there's, there's never a moment that you, you lack the power to satisfy your desire to work the conclusion of what's going on wherever in the universe. From the deepest space, the, a black hole that's ceasing existence, to a, a, a simple incident of the development of an anthill in the back of some farm in the middle of Indiana. The omnipotence of God. David thought much about the God he served. Family, I also want you to see that David saw God 
as an intimate part of life. So when life was good, David was there to praise God who was bringing good to his life. And when he hurt, he was almost surprised that, that, that God wasn't there to, to fix the problem right now. And as you, as you read the psalm, we'll, we'll come into it in a, in a few weeks. We're going to look at one of these expressions. And David just is looking down going, where are you? How come you're not here fixing the problem right now? He just knew that, if you will, God was his neighbor. And the, and the property was small. It wasn't a farm. It was just a small, tight-knit community. And he's the neighbor of David. David just trusted that God was going to be there and always have an intimacy in his life. So that even when he sinned, he recognized the importance of that profound intimacy. And though he understood the mercy, he would run to him in repentance. And we'll see, we'll see a psalm that, that talks about. So family, we, we have an intimate relationship and a desire. And I think there's one last quality that God used in David. And that was he was quick in his decision making to do what he believed God desired. If he knew God wanted it, or he believed that God wanted it, off he'd go. Now, that's not always the case how God used men. Certainly we look to Peter and go, oh, he's the same way. Alright? I think you see a, a little bit more pondering kind of guy in the Apostle Paul. God used his personality in a little different way. He thought through and then, then responded. But David's quickness is one of his great benefits. So when he walked into camp that day and he heard nine foot six Goliath, he's sitting around to all of the soldiers going, Well, who's going to go kick that guy's tail? Nobody? Well, then I will. And they looked at him and said, Well, you don't have any armor. No, but I got my neighbor, God. He's going down with me. And that guy defied my neighbor. He defied God. Well, you don't have any weapons. Got my slingshot. There's some stones right down there. That's all I need. And off he'd go. There was no, there was no hesitation. Now, I want you to hear me out. It's also what got him in trouble. All right? It was, it was his Achilles heel as well as his vital strength. So, family, no average individual is going to look up and go, oh, I shouldn't be up here. She's taking a shower down there. David's rashness led to his adultery. David's rashness led him to bring Bathsheba's husband home. And when Uriah didn't behave as he thought he would behave, to take his wife to bed with him, he quickly engineered a plan to kill him. So the very things that made him a man after God's own heart, the quick decisions were also something that engineered many of his life failures. So as we, we take all of these and we recognize the man, I'm hoping that we're going to see a, a new appreciation for the Psalms. 
because I have a feeling in my heart, even though I made my confession this morning to you, that many of you are sitting there going, did he read my mind? Did he think the same thoughts that I think? And so many of you are in my boat this morning. And so each week we're going to talk a little bit about the background of the Psalms. Uh, We're going to give us insight into what's going on in Scripture. But I want you to understand, ultimately, it's Scripture itself that is used by our spirit and the Holy Spirit link into the mind of God, teaching us God's thoughts, reproving us of our sin, mocking, or, or excuse me, molding us to be more mature, and revealing His character and closeness to us. And as if we can see all of that, and then in the morning, after we finish our time in worship, we can walk out of the door and grasp some of these challenges that God's making us, showing us He's intimate, showing us that He's here and He cares, showing us His character, reproving us of our sins, knowing and and revealing the fact that He loves and takes care of us. If we can walk out of the door this week, and on Sunday, know that, and allow it to be building and, and, and developing in our heart and our life, then maybe we can take some of these positive characteristics that David pours into each and every psalm to our personal benefit. So family, I want you to to come with me this morning to the first psalm. Not written by David. It's kind of the introduction to the psalm. It ties all of the 150 psalms together. And yet, so engineered by the Holy Spirit that it connects. It connects us to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It connects us to Joshua. We, we, see, we see fragments of it later on in the Old Testament. And we now know that Jesus came to complete the law, Matthew 5.17, to finish the law. We know that the, all the Bible's tied together in some fashion here in Psalm 1. So join with me if you have your, your phones. Oh, open them up to your Bible app. If you have your Bibles, come with me. And the reason I want you to do it is so that you can walk out this morning and go, oh, I remember when it was said, and you've got some context to work with as you go home today. If you don't have either one, join with me as we look on the screen, and I'll read as we look at it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So family, we're going to look at this, and we've called this the happy human. And the the reason is, 
is that the very word blessed here would be the closest that we could identify to the word happy. And so we're going to use that as our, our moniker this morning. And I want you to notice first what happy is. Now, I, I want you to understand, not always when you see the word blessed, can you simply go, oh, happy. There are over 12 different words or combinations of the same words that all can be pointed to happy. And each one of them have little minute flavors that can change the whole context if you simply add happy. Alright? This is happy. Matthew chapter 5, when we look at the Beatitudes, would be the Greek version of the same thing. Happy. So you're happy when you're poor in spirit, Matthew would tell us. So now, as we come here, we want to identify what it means to be happy. And I want to suggest this definition. Those of you who are taking notes, um, I did not put it on the screen. Let me walk through it slowly. Blessings here are the inner emotional sense of peace when all is right between you and the Lord. In 1690, a man wrote a book, The Beatitudes. His name was Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan writer. And if I gave you some of the reasons uh, that I'm about to share, uh, you might not get his words, so I'm making them up in, in, if you will, 21st century kind of language. But he asked the same question that, that I ask as, as we come back, and we want to know what does it mean to be a happy believer? What is happy? So he provides the same insight, and I want to share those with you this morning. I want you to see he provides a number of them. What a happy person is. First, a happy person focus is God's life gift, or is on God's life gifts. Family, it's not just the possession of them. A person might have a, the perfect house, completely paid for, but they have no enjoyment of that house because they are constantly consumed with worry of damage within the house. And so you're following all of your, your, the children or your grandchildren. Don't do that. Oh, oh i got to put that up. Oh, I can't do that. And you have no peace in that house. Completely paid for, but you are so consumed by what might happen in that house, you can't enjoy that house at all. You become worried that, and frustrated. There's just too much to do in this house. And you sit there for moments of time and go, oh, this is the perfect house. But you live an utterly horrible existence in that house. It's terrible. It's not in the having. It's the realization that life itself is God's gift to us. And where, whatever you have. Forgive me, but if it's a tent on exit 33 or 35, as all of you look there and go, oh my. But what if a believer is living there and goes, oh Lord, thank you for giving me this because I didn't have this much last week. And you have the perfect home. 
you have the same attitude that, that God would want you to have. Secondly, there's the happy person desires to mature in Christ. Family, your relationship with God is not static. But just like any friendship, any relationship, your marriage, the relationship that you have with family and friends, it should never be static. It should always be growing in warmth. And so much more your relationship to God on high. I want you to notice that blessings are personally satisfying. Thomas Watson said it this way. He says, The Lord Himself is your delicious reward. Isn't that an incredible way to describe a, a warm relationship with God? It's delicious. It's delicious. So the gifts given are exactly what God desires for you. So when Romans 8 says God does everything for good to those of us who are called, we look down and go, wow, Lord, that was a miserable experience. And you can't put all of the, the pieces together to see that as a good thing. But since Romans 8 said it, you look down and say, wow, Lord, thank you for it. Wow, what a privilege this is. And, and help me to learn to appreciate where you've just placed me. Next, life experience is sufficient. I don't know about anybody, but at, at 64, there's a lot of things that I come back to and go, I wish I. Anybody at that point, yourselves, no raise of hand, just understand, I wish I. You know, I wish I'd have tried this. I wish I could have sat behind Evil Knievel when he tried to jump the Grand Canyon. I wish I. We all have those I wish I's. Alright? But, if we really understand happiness spiritually, life experience is sufficient. So Psalms could tell us in verse 36, 8, the feast, or they feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And so all of a sudden, life itself, everything that we experience, everything that we get in life, everything that, that is good, bad, etc., is now seen as a sufficient life for us. I want you to see next, we are aware of the Lord's intimate involvement in your life. And that goes back to that idea that, that, that God, that Jesus Christ is your neighbor. And you see Him in everything. He is the Creator. So as you look at that, that proverbial anthill we talked about in the middle of Indiana a moment ago, you look down and go, wow, Lord, I cannot believe the creative genius You are. How did You do this? You look up in the sky and, and you see Orion's belt. And what an incredible thing it is as, as you watch it. If, if you choose to, from month to month to month, as it walks its way across the sky in, in the winter months, 
and then disappears. All of a sudden you look down, Lord, how did you do? How, how did you engineer all of these things that, that we can look up, identify, and appreciate? You're, you're an incredible God. Thank you. But He's also the supplier of our trials. Count it all joy when you experience trials. He's the strength when strength is needed to obey Him. So Paul could say, I discipline my body and make it my slave. Well, he's not disciplining his body. There are times when he understands that in order to be holy, as, as Mike and the worship team sang every day, every day is not always easy to follow the Lord. There are moments when you get up in the morning and you have to engineer strength to obey. When and how did you engineer it? God gave it to you. God gave it to you. And you recognize that, well, He knew that's exactly what I needed to succeed in, in continuing my walk with Him. He is the protection for your fears. Lastly, if you really want to be happy, you understand that your view of life is eternal. Family, over the last few years, we've had some, some in our experience, ill-timed deaths. And you look down and go, wow, Lord, what happened here? A believer, a happy under individual, understands that God's got an eternal perspective. And whether it's that, that ill-timed miscarriage, that youngster that, that, that dies too early in life, the, the, the adult in, in mid-life, in the very zenith of, of strength and vitality and enjoyment, or, or just at the dawn of retirement, all of which we've seen here in the last couple of years, we recognize that we have an eternal perspective. And those very individuals that, that we, we mourn, and we join with the families that mourn, we also look down and say, wow, in Christ we will see each other again. And we will experience that Wonderful privilege. So John could tell us Jesus' words, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Hebrews, we just finished. Chapter 11, verse 38, as he describes men and women who have suffered in a variety of persecuted ways. The world was not worthy of them. What an incredible understanding when we look down and, and when it's hard, we still look down and go, wow, Lord, I have eternity with You. What a privilege. So my question to you is, before we've ever left this moment in time, are you happy? So it's the emotional satisfaction of everything good. There's a sense in which even though life's tough, you're on the back patio, the lawn's mowed, no jobs tomorrow, and the weather's perfect. None of that may be true, by the way. You could have been up late with the baby, and he or she didn't settle down. You may have stretched, you may be stretched with time. You experience a time of deep stress. 
but because you're in God's hands with God's closeness, you have an inner awareness that it's going to be right. And so you are happy. So now we've seen what a happy person is. Let me ask the next question. How is a person happy? How do we make a believer a happy believer? If you ask and answer the question, no, I'm not happy. I've looked at everything you've talked about. I'm not happy. So let's answer the question here. God explains in Psalms 1 how we're happy. And He starts with three negatives. Now I want you to understand, we live in an age that you always start with the positive, right? You and I know that that's baloney. Let me prove it to you. You've had children. How many times did you ever go in and say, Honey, I need to show you the positive privileges of turning on the gas stove. I want to show you how to manage a match properly. Was that the first thing you taught your toddler? No! Don't touch the stove. It burns. Don't play with matches. Right? You see, some of our best lessons, let's be fair, are taught from a negative point of view. And we live in a world today that has to have positive performance and we have to explain things in a positive way when you and I all know that there are times when the most positive thing we can say is a negative. And so we have the same thing happen here. The author starts off with three behaviors which depart from God. Don't do them. And each one of them builds on the previous one. And so it's almost a warning in and of itself that if you start down this road, it's going to lead to some significant trouble. The first is, you're accepting sinful advice. So let's be fair. We all have stories where the appealing sinful advice was, was desired over obedience to God. Every one of us do, don't we? And if you're not nodding, then you got a problem with your memory. So we don't have to spend a lot of time here. But how many times have you come back and went, oh, I cannot believe I did that. And, and you, you fill in the blank of the that. But you followed sinful advice because that sinful advice sounded good. It was going to cut the corner of some act of righteousness and more quickly give you the goals or the desires that you wanted. Or those desires were so sinful that they were more appealing than a boring, righteous life, or however your mind imagined that misbehavior. So secondly, he comes back in, and so not only is accepting the advice wrong, but joining the activity. We now have gone farther. We've, we've listened to advice and we're in there. Now we are so in there 
That we're encouraging others. Oh man, this is great, guys. Come on in with me. And I would suggest that we all have stories, even here, of times when we engineered other people's sinfulness. We encourage them to come on in and join us. Get in the pool with us. It's fine. It's wonderful. The third is not so much within a believing family. But notice if you will. Finally, you become God mockers. You are so entrenched with the idea of sin that God's wrong and you're right. You are entrenched. You are sitting with them because that's your plan of attack. Notice, if you will, Romans chapter 1, verse 32 says it even more bluntly. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Family, happy isn't based on sin's advice, sin's activity, or defiance of God. So he turns and he makes the positive. It is based on the delights of God's Word. And so he says that they meditate on the law day and night. Now, much like the word blessed has a variety of meanings in the Bible, law has a variety of meanings. Sometimes the Bible says law, and he's pointing to those rocks that Moses brought down from the Ten Commandments. He's pointing to one of those. You disobeyed the law. All right. He's pointing at the books, or the, the rocks. Other times, the Bible says, that he loves the law, and he's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What, what theologians might call the Pentateuch, five books in Latin. Other times he's talking about all of the Old Testament, the law. Now I want to suggest to you here that you and I have something even greater than the Old Testament. We have someone in Jesus Christ who says, I have come to what? Fulfill the law. And what I do is so exacting that not the smallest dot of the I or cross of the T will be left out. I'm here to fulfill the law. And so when you and I talk about the law, being 21st century believers, we can look at the whole scope of the Bible. And so when we talk about meditating on Scripture, we can talk about the meditation of what it means to be Christ followers. We know what it means to put our lives under the authority of the work of Jesus Christ and know that the work of the Holy Spirit works in us, reproving us of sin, correcting our, our, our misadventures, recognizing that we have that aha, that discovery moment of being taught by the, the Word of God and, and begin to place our lives in the care of God's Word. 
And when we talk about meditating on Scripture, please understand, we are not emptying our mind as meditation talks about here in our times. We're talking about filling our minds with the greatest privilege that we have, digging deep, recognizing the, the, the full understanding of studying God's Word to its completion, unpacking it and finding application in ways of our lives that this passage literally changes our behavior. And so we say that when he meditates on the law day and night, we look down and go, wow, I have the privilege of having the greatest opportunity of time spent in my life. Time in God's Word. And family, I want to suggest to you that that, that time in God's Word is incredible. Joshua was, was given exactly the same commissioning back in the beginning of Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now remember, he just had the five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He only had the five. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Family, the life of meditation morphs those teachings, encouragements, truths, illustrations, reproofs, and corrections that are found in the Word because the loving actions upon you by the Holy Spirit changes you so that I naturally do, you and I naturally accomplish all that a loving believer in the truth of God's Word can accomplish in following Jesus Christ. And so sometimes you wake up in the morning and go, wow, it's an everyday kind of day. And you follow the Lord. How many times do you, have you ever looked down and you've been confronted by a passage of Scripture? And it's not one of those everyday kind of days. But you wake up and with the grit of your teeth, you look down and say, you know, I know what God's Word says. I don't want to do it but I know its promises and I know the one who wrote it and I'm going to trust it until it becomes true in my life. And with grit and determination and confidence that it's the right thing, even though you feel wrong about it, you will determine yourself to obey. It includes those kind of days. We meditate on God's Word and that meditation morphs and changes and does everything that it's supposed to do. So family, we now see how a believer is happy. Let's look at where a believer lives. Now I want to suggest to you this. This is a theological expression. We don't, we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, the holy people don't live up on Hillcrest and the unholy ones live on Cane Creek. That's not what we're saying here today. All right? Or vice versa, if you're, if you're on, those, on those hills. 
Understand, the idea here is you are a planted tree by good water. Alright? But the word planted really has the idea of being transplanted. You were never designed to be in that spot. You were on bad soil with no water. And you grew there in a way that you had no chance of success. So the farmer took that olive tree that came to sprout in the wrong area and he dug that out of the bad ground. And saving the root ball, he now brought those, that wonderful tree and he put it down in an area that it was going to go. There was, there was underwater aquifer that was going to feed those roots. And no matter what that tree did from now on, being transplanted in an arena of, of care and vitality and, and natural concern, that tree was going to be a successful tree. And God says that that's exactly what everyone who knows Jesus Christ and follows the Savior has been given the privilege of having. He moved you from the, the dry ground where He describes us in Jeremiah as a crushed leaf. We're just dead and crunchy. He moves us from there. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no hope. We're under the wrath of God. He says, I'm now going to bring you over to here. And I'm going to transplant you. And you're going to succeed. And I want you to notice that He says two things about the success of this plant. Number one, you will produce a fruit. Which is exactly what the Bible tells us. That if we're in the field of God, and we're going to produce a crop, some 60, or some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. You're going to produce a crop. You're under God's care. I want you to notice according to Psalms, it says it's going to be in season. Now, at least applicationally, I take that to mean... Family, every day is not a harvest day. Every day is not a, a happy day. Every day is not a everyday kind of day that we sang a moment ago. Alright? There are days that are going to be like that. Those are harvest days. Where you saw the, Im the, the impact of your life as it ministered to somebody else. As, as, as you saw a prayer answered, and you're, you're high on Jesus, because that prayer answered was a really significant moment in time for you. You saw all of those things. You saw an engineered act of obedience turned out in a way that you just go, oh my goodness. So there are days of harvest. But I want you to understand, there are also days where the only thing you're going to experience is God's faithfulness to you. Your leaves will never fall off. And the tree will always stay vital. Now, you and I should have a wonderful reality to that. Every one of us get to recognize fall and winter. But what Psalm's saying here, in a happy human life, the leaves don't turn brown. And the leaves don't fall off. You stay evergreen. And when someone knows God's their neighbor, it gives you a much more enjoyable privilege in the hard times.
So unlike a well-watered tree, he describes anyone else who's not been transplanted in a much more graphic vision. And that's ultimately true when you recognize eternity as part of our view of life. So unlike a well-watered tree, chaff is just the opposite. Chaff has no root, no fruit. Life without God is life's leftovers, easily blown away. So let's, let's, let's look at one last idea. Who knows? Who knows the happy person? Who knows this person? The poem closes with an unusual comparison. He says, God knows His righteous family. And because of their righteous position, they can stand before God. Now, stand is a picture that we use often within the Bible. And you'll see it, whether it's in poems or in New Testament teaching. I could take you to Ephesians chapter 6 today. You remember the armor of the Lord? We all love to talk about that and study it in Sunday school. One of the armors or one of the protecting devices that we have is our feet shot with the gospel of peace. Remember? So that on the evil day, what can we do? Stand. Why? Because God on high gave us the power and the impact to be on His side, under His authority, with His command. And no matter how bad and how bleak it looks, we can stand. God says, my people are known by me. And when they know me, they can stand. So family, knowing and standing are two of these incredible positions. To know us is to have intimate, privileged relationship based on love. Listen to Psalms 139, a psalm we'll not ever cover in these next ten weeks. Verses 1-6 through six say it this way, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, You know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Isn't it incredible? that something you can't attain is something that He could put on paper and leave it to us as a poem? We can't obtain it because outside of a relationship with God on high and gifted us by a Holy Spirit who can unpack the truth of Scripture completely in our hearts and lives. We couldn't grasp this. We see the chaos of our times. And, and we look down and go, well, wait a second, where's God in this? You know, It's as if we're not standing in the eye of the hurricane, but we're out here in the, in the torrential realities of the hurricane and going, where's God? Where, where, where's control? But, but God takes us to that moment where we're standing inside the hurricane. And He says, wait a second, wait a second. Before any of your actions, I know what you're going to do. Before any of your thoughts, I, I, I know where you, what you thought. I know you. And so the intimacy of God, He says, those in Christ... 
I have a connection with you that's powerful. Against being known, the Bible says, is to perish. Now, the Bible paints different flavors to the idea of perish. Here, they paint life as a road that you, you, you think that you're going down. And having, having come to the end of the road, i.e. the end of life, you find that it's a dusty dead end and you weren't on the wrong road. Alright? There's no turning back. There's no trying to get another path. It's too late to accomplish anything. It's gone. That's how Psalms 1 paints perishing here. It's also painted in, in Proverbs as, as, as unfulfilled dreams and then we die. We talked a moment ago, those of us who are seniors, I, I, all of us are going to have a, a fairly significant list. I wish I. Can you imagine... Forgive me a moment. Those of you who know Christ in the, in the room today, can you imagine getting to the end of life and you're making out that, that, that bucket list of things that you didn't do? And in death, you're still making that bucket list. But on that bucket list was not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But in death, it's too late. You, you can't go back. There, there, there's no opportunity to, to correct some of these Issues. It's gone. You've perished. John 3.16 gives us, I think, the most blatant of the perishings. God gave His Son so that none could perish. Family, as we begin our journey in the Psalms, the Psalms are going to make it blunt. There is no third way. Psalm 1 lays before life's path and those paths separate forever. The first is eternal happiness found only in God by receiving a righteousness through the gift of Jesus Christ. And the second is death for receiving or refusing God's gift of life. Now family, if you finished our first time together and you struggle with poetry like I did, let me give you the CliffsNote version. Alright? That little yellow book that we all used in high school to cheat when we should have read the classic that we were assigned to. And some of you who didn't cheat, I'm sorry. The CliffsNote version might be going on something like this. Verse 1 says... Blessed is the man whose delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. Verse 6, but the way of the wicked will perish. We can cut out all of the middle and recognize you're happy. If you know, love, and trust God's Word and the story He tells you about knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And your life is completely insufficient with not. And when you add the eternal perspective, you get the hopelessness. And if there's one idea that you and I need to take home today is this. You and I can walk through that door and go, wow, I'm happy. 
I know it all. I have it all that God has given to me. And I have that perspective that he is, He's my neighbor and He's with me. But your life neighbor might not. Your, your friend at work might not. Your family that we've asked you to put on a circle card may not. And I believe it to be a tragedy for us to know truth and not to communicate truth. And I believe that that's both a practical and a spiritual reality. If a person was doing knuckleheaded behavior, and I looked to them and I had the perfect advice to give them to stop doing knuckleheaded behavior, I would be remiss. Forgive me, what kind of parent are you if you don't fix that? What kind of neighbor are you if you don't fix that? But what more is that when it's spiritual truth? You have the greatest privilege that the world could ever know. You know happy. Do you ever express the privilege of being a happy person to those who are unhappy? Father in Heaven, I'd ask You that, that You would give us a privilege of knowing and loving the, the Psalms even more as we come. And dear God, if that's not someone um, like me today who struggles with the Psalms and they already have it, then praise, praise You for that, that understanding. Dear God, I would pray that You would give us, us the concept and the privilege of recognizing our happiness in Christ. Because, dear God, You've given us a fuller awareness of all that this truth has and You've unpacked it for us in a way that we stand here more appreciative of what we have in Jesus. But, dear God, may we, may we know that that, that that privilege allows us to share that truth. And so, dear God, may our circle cards be something that we pray over and be concerned over that, that people may understand and appreciate what it means to be a happy person like we know to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.